to the ExtraordinaryChurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. Come on, could you clap your hands to Jesus just a little bit louder? Come on, has God been good to anybody else besides me? Come on, He alone is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We bless you today, God. We bless you today. Well, I, I'm not on cloud nine. I'm on cloud 17. Come on, somebody. I am so honored and excited to be in the house of God with you today, and I'm believing God's going to meet us here. Uh, would you high-five your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad I'm sitting next to you today? Would, would you high-five your other neighbor and say, and you look good on the other side of me? Come on, somebody. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 1 and Acts chapter 17, but before I read my scripture, and I promise I'm going to go quickly today. Um, I do want to just say at the outset of this message uh, that I really am honored to be here. Uh, this church has been an inspiration to me for the last five years, and your pastor has been an inspiration to me for much longer than that. And uh, I am here today representing a contingency of people far beyond the walls of this church and this country all around uh, North America that have been inspired and impacted by the ministry of your pastor over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Matter of fact, I got a call last night from one of the most influential uh, young preachers in the movement that preaches all over the world. And uh, and Brother Kiel's name got brought up, and he just said, man, I've, I've looked up to that guy for, forever. We never talked about him before, but he said the same words about your pastor as I would say because I'm here representing uh, beyond the borders of what God has done through your church, through your pastor, through this ministry. Would you give your pastor a hand one more time and his beautiful wife and family? All right. I do got to say this, Pastor Akil and, and your wonderful wife, I was going to say, y'all have been such a light. Um, that was my phrase I was going to use, but when I was preparing to say that, the Lord this morning said, they are not a light, they have been a lighthouse. And there has been a stability. I mean this. There's been a stability in which you've carried your light with over the last two decades. And I just felt to tell you this, that that lighthouse that your family has been has made it so easy for the folks in this room to draw to your ministry. Can somebody say amen? But I felt to say this. There have been people that have flirted with coming alongside and helping you in this ministry. God has preserved some of the roster spots on your team because God's sending not just people that carry the light, but people with stability that are lighthouses. God's about to bring you infrastructure and a whole nother level. Does anybody else believe that? Would you say amen? All right. Jeremiah chapter 1 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Everybody say, he knew me. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I set you apart. I, adorn, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. This was before you were known by name. God had a plan for your life. Acts 17 and 28 says, For in him 
we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. I'm going to be basing out of Acts 17 today, and I'm going to be preaching about what God, I believe the message I've come to preach today is to confirm in your life the placement that God has you right where he wants you for something farther than you've ever seen. And today I want to talk to you from this simple title called Built for This. Built for This. Would you look at your neighbor and say, Built for This. Close your eyes, open up your heart one more time. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, that you've put us at the right place at the right time. God, you've positioned us in a place, God, that, that you want to do exceeding and abundantly above all we could ask or think. And we thank you and we honor you tonight. We thank you today, Lord, because everything you've planned, God, is already in order. There's an infrastructure you're building. There's something that's being built inside of us that's going to carry into another dimension. We believe it. We claim it. And come on, if you're with me, would you clap your hands and say amen? All right, if you're going to preach with me, you can sit down, and if you're not, you can go ahead and leave. Come on, somebody, all right? And I do give honor to my wonderful wife and kids that are with me today. I got, I got three kids, y'all, and I got another one on the way, four babies and four years. And it's not just because I like kids, y'all. I love my wife. Come on, somebody. I want to talk to you today about God's timing. God's purpose and plan for your life. I want to speak to you today uh, about this premise that I, I want to get out at the outset of my message that you cannot understand the assignment on your life unless you understand the anatomy of how God's built you. Let me say that again. You cannot understand your assignment. And I believe that everybody in this room has an assignment. And at this five-year mark, which is unbelievable what God has done, this church has an assignment, you have an assignment, but there is a particular anatomy or construct or, or framework in which God has built you for the assignment on your life. As, am I the only one that's in this room? Just, just raise your hand if you're with me. Have you, have you ever felt like uh, you were just at the right place at the right time? Can you raise your hand if you ever felt like that? You ever been in a moment where, where you needed something? I buy toys for my kids, and, and, and for some reason all these toys require these ridiculous tools needed to put them together. They just can't use a normal screwdriver. It's got to be the most random screwdriver in all the world. Can I get a parent to say amen? And you just happen to find that one screwdriver in the back of the junk drawer, and y'all know you got a junk drawer in your house. And it just happens to fit that, that place set, and you can put it together. I'm telling you, you can take me to church on a Christmas morning, finding the right tool for the right job. Can I get an amen, somebody? I, I've, I've been in some moments where uh, uh, back in the day I played football, American football in college and all that. I, I, I've been in a few uh, uh, dust-ups in my life. And uh, I'm just going to tell you, if you're in a fighting situation, uh, you don't want just everybody with you. Come on, somebody. Right? Hey, hey, there's certain people that if I'm in a dark alley with my back against the wall, they can lose my number. Come on, somebody. Right? I'm just. But, but there's some people, if you thought about it, if you were in a fight, there's some people. My man, my man Douglas is back there. He's, he's 16. And he's kind of big. I don't know why he's so, he got them traps like he's been working out. And I'm just going to be honest with you, I, I, I get in a desktop, I, 
I want a Douglas behind me. Come on, somebody. It's the right person at the right time. Can I get an amen? The, the reality is, is that there's this, there's something about the, the, the right time, the right place, the right person, the, the, particular, the particular moment. There's a certain thing about how things fit together that just seem to work at a different level. And I, I, I've come to talk to you today about the fact that I believe you are the right time, you are the right person at the right time, at the right place to see something that you've never seen in the kingdom of God. I believe there's people under the sound of my voice that don't know nothing about nothing about nothing about God. And God's got you in this room today because he's got an assignment for you to do something great. Does anybody else besides me believe that we've got some people in the house that at the right time, at the right place, do you believe it? Would you say amen? God is so strategic. His mind is so strategic. Think about the, the most strategic thinker and and. In, in the sports world or in the military world or whatever, uh, the corporate world, somebody who can put things together and just understand that the mind of God is so strategic and, and is so perfectly placed and, and where and when he places people. Jeremiah 29 and 11, I progress, it says this, for I know the thoughts I think towards you. And the Bible didn't say that he said, I think of you. He said, I'm thinking things towards you. That there's a direction in which the mind of God works towards us. He said, I, I, the plans I have, to, I, I, I'm thinking towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good, peace, and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And another version says an expected end. Let me just take a commercial break from where I'm going to say this. There are people under the sound of my voice that believe the lie that you've got some kind of generational curse. That your future is going to be indicative of the past of your family. And can I tell you that that's not the will of God for your life? Your future future is in the hands of God. Come on, somebody. Your future is in the mouth and the mind of your father. And when your father thinks of you, his plans are of good. Everybody say good. And not evil. And there is an expected end. When you've had family members that expected you to fail, you ever told somebody about your dream and as soon as you said it out loud, you regretted saying it? You can't tell everybody what you're dreaming about. Go ask Joseph. But the reality is when the mind of God begins to set itself towards you, the expected end that he has is that there's a plan and a future and a hope. And I've come to remind somebody that our father is thinking towards you and he's got a strategic plan specifically tailored for your life. And it's a good plan. Come on, somebody. It's not a, it's not a good plan. It's a God plan. And the God plan, I'm just telling you, the God plan on your life is greater than anything you've dreamed. He's the God of exceeding, abundant, above all we could ask or think. He's the God of the extraordinary, no pun intended. The reality is that our God has plans. But Jeremiah chapter 1, I love that this whole notion of the plan that God has for us is written in the same book by the same man that Jeremiah chapter 1 and 5 illustrates this amazing concept about God's plan for your life and when and where he decides what he wants for you. Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
The word knew there is an intimacy word. It's a, it's a word that means I, I knew every fabric of who you were and what I intended you to be. I, I knew you as close as I could know anything before you were born. I set you apart. I don't know who in this room needs to hear this, but there's some of you that your whole life, you've, never, you've not even been living for God for long, but your whole life you felt so different from those people around you. And you'd go to school and you're at sports and you're doing things and you always felt so different and, and, and you always felt like there's a gap and what you thought was you were just weird, but you didn't realize you were just set apart. And that God, even before you knew him, knew you. And he decided that you were so wonderful. He decided that you were so beautiful. He decided that he had such a plan that he went ahead and set you apart. And you would show up at the same party as everybody else, but somehow you were the one that got caught. Come on, somebody. You ever have those moments where everybody's doing something stupid and then you do it and you get in trouble? And you were complaining, why, 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 is God, why do I always got to be the one? Why do I always got to be the one that gets responsibility? Everybody was doing it. And the reality is, it's because God was so set on you fulfilling the plan that he has for your life that he had to get your attention one way or the another. I'm telling somebody that all your life has felt strange, I'm telling you, you're not strange. You're just set apart. Come on, somebody. You're just anointed. Come on, the hand of God is on your life. God wants to use you for his glory. I thought I'd get a few more people on a five-year anniversary to say amen. Y'all with me? <laughs> we find Paul in Acts chapter 17. And, 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 and this whole concept of, of being preordained, and, and, and even in Jeremiah 1 and 5, it says, I've ordained you. And it not only gives him the clarity about how he was called, but it even gives him the clarity of where he was called. It doesn't say, I've called you to Jerusalem in Jeremiah 1 and 5. It says, to the nations. We find Paul in Acts chapter 17 in a really precarious situation. Because Paul, if you don't know and you're new to this whole church thing, Paul's pretty much the superstar of the New Testament. Maybe this is too soon, but he's the Kawhi Leonard of the New Testament team. Come on, somebody. Too soon? My bad. My bad. My bad. I'm just, I'm just testing stuff out. I'm just throwing it out there. I just... I lost the whole church. They're like, man, where did he get this preacher from? <laughs> I got a mama over there. Don't even look like she knows basketball mad about me. <laughs> Paul's a superstar. And Paul in the New Testament, the, we find him in a precarious situation because in Acts chapter 17, Paul has just been kicked out of a city called Thessalonica where he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching the gospel so effectively and the anointing he's walking in is so pure and so impactful is landing in such a way that there were some people that rose up and they went to the authorities and they said Paul and his friends we got to get them out of town because these are the men that have turned their world upside down and they were they didn't even know they were prophesying can I just tell you that there's an anointing for the believers that just flips things upside down can I tell you 
that what they're saying all around the world right now is that Toronto and Canada and the whole area you're in is so anti-God and there's no believers. And can I tell you, I'm looking at a full house and Mississauga of some people that said, we don't care what the government said. We don't care what the world is saying. God is doing an upside down work in the GTA. Is that how you say it? I'm trying to get my cred back with mom over here. I ain't going to mess nothing up. So, so Acts 17, they come up against Paul in Thessalonica. They, they kick him out over to another city called Berea. And then those same guys from Thessalonica, you, you ever had haters follow you? Like, I thought I blocked you on Facebook and they found you on Instagram. They followed, the haters came all the way to another city. They, they start exercising the hate on him. And they find him in Berea. He's trying to preach. People are open to the gospel. And, and they find him in Berea. And they get them all worked up about it. And Paul has to get on a boat and go to another city. He has, he has to leave. And where we find Paul in Acts chapter 17, he's in this new city that is really the epicenter of, his, of the philosophical and religious world of his day. And he's getting in Acts 17. I'm just saying this quickly. This is the message of all messages. This is the finals. This is the, the, the landmark moment of Paul's ministry, this message I'm going to talk about today. And would you know that he comes to the appointment of the lifetime of ministry. He comes to his divine appointment by way of haters trying to chase after him. Can I tell somebody that everything in your past has been lining up and even though it may have seemed evil, I'm telling you, all things work together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Can I tell somebody that I don't care how you got here, I don't care if you got here because last week you couldn't find joy at the bottom of the bottle. I don't care if you got here because last week somebody in your family made you so mad that you were about to go to jail, but God. I don't care what situation got you to where you are, but I'm telling you that we serve a God that can take the highest mountain and the lowest valley and sew it all together and put you, come on, at the right place, at the right time, with a purpose. Come on, would you say amen, everybody? I got to go, I got to go. And would you know, in Acts 17, that he shows up, and he happens to come across two diametrically opposed groups of theologians. They were the Stoics and the Epicureans. And he just so happens to come across them. And the Epicureans were a group of people in that day that were kind of hedonistic pleasure seekers that thought God was kind of out there. They would what we would call, um, we would call them agnostics. God was out there, but he's not personally involved in the lives of people. So they just decided we're just going to do whatever we want and we're just going to seek pleasure and, and, and who cares because there's no God, there's no judgment. The Stoics, on the other hand, thought God was in everything. 
even down to the atoms, even down to the smallest thing. They would make this little bottle of oil the most religious thing in the world. So they, on the other hand, were so kind of legalistic, if you will, that, that they just decided that, that, that it, they, they were going to be emotionless. And, and that's where the name Stoic comes from. So, so we, we think we know the right things, but we're not going to be kind about it. And then on the other side, we don't know anything, but we're going to be all good to each other on one side. It's uh, I'm I'm right, but I'm going to treat people wrong. And on the other side, I know that I'm probably wrong, but at least I'm a good person. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that theological war, if you will, I saw signs on the way here. One of the reasons I was late to church today, I saw signs. Uh, there was a protest going on. I've never I've never seen this in the state. I mean, I've seen it in the states in different ways, but I've never seen it this intimately. I saw signs, and they had uh, was it uh, y'all's prime minister? They had his name, and they had explicitives up, and there was this huge protest on the corner, and and I had to kind of guard my kids' eyes because the signs were saying you know blank this and blank that and all these curse words on the flags, trying to go out and scream at everybody and say, you should believe what I believe. And this is the exact environment in which Paul finds himself in. But instead of standing on a street corner and yelling explicitives, instead of standing, standing on a street corner and throwing his Bible and saying, you should listen or you're going you're gonna to go to hell, you turn or you burn, baby, come on. Paul gets up and ignores the philosophical, theological debate of the hour, and he just gets up, and the Bible says that he begins preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Can I just come to this amazing, extraordinary church in Mississauga and tell you I don't care what's going on on the left, I don't care what's going on on the right, if this church will stand up and preach Jesus. Come on, we've got the whole message that we need. I, I thought I'd get a few more hand claps, Pastor. I'm telling somebody, stop arguing at the dinner table with your extended family. I'm, I'm sorry. It, here's the problem. I'm, I'm getting too real because I feel like we're family. You know what I'm saying? You ever had that cousin that shows up and you didn't invite him? He just happened to see it on Facebook? I'm kind of like that cousin. So I, I, I can't help but be real today. Stop arguing with your family at dinner trying to theologically prove something that's actually a spiritual war. You're trying, to, you're trying to use eloquent words and elevate yourself with some kind of moral and mental high ground. I didn't, I didn't even plan on preaching this, but somebody needs to hear this. You're trying to get the high ground in a conversation over something happening in politics, not understanding that Paul said, listen, I didn't come to you with excellency of words, but I simply came to preach Jesus and him crucified. Come on, won't you go ahead and take that mentality and put it down and pick up a bucket of water and go ahead and say, instead of going up, I'm going to get it down and wash your feet. Come on, let me show you Jesus. Come on, let me show you Jesus. Y'all with me, everybody? Would you say amen? I'm going, I'm going somewhere. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Paul, in verse 19, the Bible says, they took him to this place called Mars Hill or Arapegus. And he says, may we know 
what this new teaching in verse 19 is that you are presenting. That they wanted to know what this Jesus was all about, and I, I got to go, but I got to stop and say this. Don't tell me that the world is not interested in Jesus, and that Jesus is too antiquated, and this whole thing is too old school, and they don't want nothing to do. I'm telling you, the most interesting story in all of humanity is the story of a God that wanted to become a man. Every man in the world wanted to become a God and a king, but we had one king. One God that wanted to become a man and died on a cross for all sins of humanity. Don't tell me that Jesus is too boring. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world. I'm telling you, they may act like they don't want what we got, but they can't take their eyes off of it. That's why the haters seem to always be attracted to you because they can't figure out while in the middle of all that mess, you still got a smile on your face. They can't figure out in the middle of the storm of your life that you still got a smile because they can't figure out that I've got a joy unspeakable. Come on, somebody, and full of glory. And I've got the joy of the Lord. I got to go. They find us, and I'm just going to keep going, and, and I'm really going in here. Paul ends up standing in verse 23. And as I pass along, Paul says, no, he, he, I'm going to go to verse 22 because I want you to get the whole picture. He says, standing in the midst of Arapicus, this, this Mars Hill, if you will, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And that was not meant as a compliment. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I just happened to be walking by, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What's amazing as Paul is walking around the city, and he happens to see these idols in which pe these people had built to give a, uh, their, their sacrifice. Everybody say, built for this. And they thought it was built for this, but Paul was about to explain that, no, it's actually built for that. And, and I'm, I'm going to break it down to you because Paul's walking around, and, and, and there's two revelations going on all at the same time. Because on one end, you've got Paul, who's a Jewish man who really has no reason, historically, to have such an intricate knowledge of all of the Greek and all the Roman and all the history of the city he was in. The Jewish people were very secluded type of people that really focused on their theology and the God of Israel. But Paul happened to be raised in a city and trained by a man named Gamaliel. And just happened, so happened, to have all this extensive understanding of all the customs and all the traditions of the pagan government in which was ruling this city. So all at the same time, you've got Paul, 
who's looking at the inscriptions and he knows the history because he actually was built for this moment. God had given him his education. Can I just stop and tell somebody, I'm so glad you got an education, but can I just encourage you, get your education and then get over it because the only reason God allowed you to have that mind in the first place is so you could use that education to glorify God. Come on, somebody. I'm so glad you got that great job. I'm so glad you got that great opportunity, but don't you forget for one moment that with the snap of his fingers, that beautiful mind of yours could be off and destroyed and all you could be in some kind of mental institution, and yet God has kept you in your sound and right mind. Come on, somebody. God has given you that talent and that ability. I, I get it. There, I, 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 get, I, I, I was this young sports star. I got the football scholarship and all that, but young man, 17 years old, don't forget that God may have given you that ability to dribble a ball, but he only gave it to you to glorify him. Can I get somebody to say amen? Y'all following me? Okay. So the revelation's happening that Paul was built for, everybody say built for this. Paul was built for this moment. All of his other companions could have walked through this city and they would not have had the mental understanding and they would not have had the, the history and the education to be able to preach the sermon that Paul's about to preach. But he sees us and he recognizes that these inscriptions on these idols say to the unknown God. What Paul knew that many people would not know is that 600 years before this day, there was a famine, COVID-19-like, that attacked the entire land around them. And Paul knew this, that, that 600 years before when this famine happened and, and the people were looking for answers. And they were trying to figure out how do we get through this? Where, where do we find uh, some kind of solution? They found this man named Epidemus. And, and Epidemus, he was a, a, a priest of sorts. And he gave them this grand idea because they had so many different gods they would worship. And they'd have temples to every god that they worship. So he gave them this idea 600 years before Paul shows up. Take black goats and white goats and release them in the city. And he would say, whatever the goat lies down, sacrifice that goat there, which sacrifice was a, as a representation of honoring a god. And he would say, whatever, whatever temple happens to be closest to the place where you sacrifice that goat, then you name that altar where you sacrifice that goat unto this temple that was closest to us. Is everybody tracking with me? Every day? Say amen. But he said, if one of these goats happens to fall down and get sacrificed and they're not in close enough proximity to any of the major temples, then go ahead and make that temple not named by any other God, but call that altar to the unknown God. And so Paul walks in this city, and he knows the context in history from 600 years ago in this crazy wives' tale that the people of that day in that city knew. And he looks up, and he says, he looks up and he says to the unknown God, you wrote this inscription, but what therefore you worship as an unknown, this I proclaim to you. Everybody say, built for this. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and of earth, does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
thing since he himself gives to all mankind the breath and everything. And then he goes on to say, he goes on to say this phrase that was a quote from the very man and which made those inscriptions to the unknown God, unknown God. And in verse 28, he reminds them, he says, listen, in verse 27, he says, listen, these people are seeking God. They don't know it. They're looking and seeking God, perhaps to feel their way towards them. He said like that is a dark room. Another virgin said they're trying to grope and feel their way towards God. And he said, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For this God that these people were seeking for when they built the altar to the unknown God, this answer that they were seeking for when they were drinking themselves to sleep, this answer that they were looking for in those impure relationships, this answer that they were looking for, he says, no, 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 no. It's not the unknown God for in him we live and in him we move and in him we have our being even as some of your poets have said and he quotes and makes sure they understand that he knows all the history your own people said this phrase and he says but they don't understand that when they were saying there was an unknown God that we lived in he said they didn't understand it but that God has a name and his name is Jesus come on somebody he said that God that they were looking for and feeling for has got a name for we indeed are his offspring let me tell you this and I'm done matter of fact they can I, I can get I don't know how y'all do it here, but if, if a piano player wants to come play and give the people hope, that's okay. Come on, somebody. It's like, give them some hope, God. This is a hope. We, we bring hope at this church. Come on, somebody. What I need you to understand is that every situation through the history of your life that you thought was meant to destroy you, Every situation that that this the educate that the mountaintop, the education, and all the beautiful things in your life, and the ugly moments that you don't want anybody else to know about, I want you to know that the God that we serve was behind every single one of those moments. The God that we serve was right next to you on your graduation day. The God that we serve was right next to you on that night that you fell asleep crying yourself in a puddle of tears. The God that we serve was everywhere that you've ever been in every moment. And all those moments happened because in him we live, move, and have our being. And all the times that you thought that this job was going to make you feel fulfilled and it didn't. And all the times you thought that this relationship was going to finally make you happy, and it didn't. And all the times that you thought that this great accomplishment or getting through this low moment was somehow going to get you to this place of peace, and it didn't. I want you to know that just like these people in Athens, when he said they were feeling their way towards God, I want you to know that every single one of those moments was simply you feeling your way towards God. So don't let the devil trick you into thinking that you're condemned and that God doesn't have a plan for your life because of something in your past. I want you to know that all those moments were coming together to build you for this moment. Can I, Come on, can somebody cop a little louder? And God was building your lens. 
God was, was giving you keys 10 years ago to a door that just showed up this year. You please hear me. I'm done. You hear this preacher and you remember what I said. I, he'll fix it next week if I mess it up. I'm telling you. In this season of this church, there are going to be doors that open in your life that are so much bigger than you feel capable of. But the reality is God already gave you the keys in a past season. You just didn't realize they were in your back pocket. <laughs> there's, some, there's some things that are intimidating you in this season. And you're wondering, God, how are we going to get through this? And out of nowhere, God's going to bring to your remembrance a moment 15 years ago when you happened to be at the right place at the right time and God gave you the answer. And all of a sudden, you're going to see this situation matches that situation. This door's a little bit bigger, but you are it's the same keys. It's just a bigger opportunity, but it's the same God, and he don't care about the size of the challenge. The heavens and the earth are his footstool. It's not big to him. God help us. You are looking up at what is under his feet. And you don't even understand. It's so small to him that he already equipped you for it. It's so small to him like Paul. This is the culmination of his ministry. And yet Paul could go back to eight years old and things that were being downloaded into the infrastructure of his life that showed up in the greatest ministry moment. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta go. If, if you promise you won't walk out, stand. Help us, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. I was standing. in my new ministry assignment at a church that Pastor Keel came and preached for years ago. And I looked across the room and I saw in a little 14-year-old boy that was in the room, and I say little because he was, he was kind of scrawny. He was not the kind of kid that you'd want in a fight. Come on, somebody. And I looked at his face and I recognized his face because he had the same look in his eyes that I had when he, I was his age. This was my first week. I just moved states, just started ministry as a youth pastor at this new church. In the very first few weeks, I look at this little 14-year-old boy, and I see this look in his eyes. I went and grabbed him, and I said, hey, man, come with me. Let's go out to eat. Let's go to Subway. Let's, let's sit down. And while we were in the car, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you my story, and then I want you to tell me yours. And I began to open up and share with him about how when I was 11, 12, 13, when I was a young man around his age, I had something happen to me that should never happen to a young boy. And I dealt with a situation, um, and I'm not going to be graphic or specific, but I dealt with a situation that literally scarred me and marked me, and somebody took advantage of me, and, and, and it was a, a horrible deal. 
And I'd always wondered, why would a good God let something like that happen? But God healed me. He restored me. Things were done. And, and, and I thank God for that. All the, all the mountaintop moments, all the low, low moments. And I walked up and I began to tell, me, tell him my story. And as soon as I did, this little cool kid, the most popular kid in his school, tears began to come down his eyes. <laughs> and, and like he was a, a baby, he, he laid in my arms. I just met the kid. And he began to confess about a situation that was happening to him and how he had so much guilt and so much shame that he was considering killing himself. He said, I had a plan. I was going to kill myself in two days because I just can't deal with this anymore. And for years, I'd wonder, what, 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 what was this chapter in my life? And why, God, did you allow this to happen and this to happen? And then all of a sudden, with this 14-year-old boy in my arms, I knew exactly why. Because in the strategic nature of the mind of God, God knew that I, I, I had a grace. I got through it. I, I dealt with it. And I, I'm so thankful, God. But as I'm sitting there with this boy that was going to kill himself, the grace of God that had restored me began to pour from me into him. And I saw that brokenness in his eyes begin to be restored to life. And, and God began to heal and mend. And, and I'm thankful to testify he's still standing with the Lord today. Come on, somebody. And here's, here's I got to go. I got to go. I'm done. I'm on my exact moment. Here's what I want you to know. the things that happen in our life. I've got to go find this bottle. I've got to go find this partner. I've got to go to this game. I've got to watch this Netflix show so I can deal with my past. And all the while, we've got a God in heaven that's looking at us saying, listen, if you'll go ahead and hand me that brokenness, come on, if you go ahead and hand me those great moments and those broken, I'll make a beautiful tapestry. And there's somebody outside of the walls of this building there's people that you've not met yet that are waiting for somebody to understand their anatomy, understand how God built them and why God allowed them to go through what they went through so they can step into their assignment. I've come to tell somebody, as every, I'm going to ask you every eye closed, every head bowed, I've come to tell somebody you were built for this. <laughs> that my God... He was there when your dad left. He was there when they broke your heart. <laughs> he was there when you won the game, but, but that person you wanted to be there, they weren't there. He was there when your, your boss affirmed you. He was there every single moment. And what he was doing was he was going ahead and collecting some pieces to build this thing called an earthen vessel. He was taking some moments to build together a vessel so he could pour in his glory. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this room today and you're ready to step into the new season that God has for EC, 
If you're ready to step into the new dimension that this church is going in the next couple years, come on, if you're ready to tackle the things that you call mountains that God calls molehills, I'm telling you, before we get there, you're going to have to say, yes, God, I embrace everything in my past, and I know you're building together for a great future. Come on, I believe that there's a future and a hope and an expected end of my life. So on the count of three, everybody in this room, I want you to lift up your hands. Are you come to this altar? I don't care if you've never been to church before, but you feel something tugging you. I want you to come down to this front altar and say, God, you take every blow in a high moment of my life, and I give it to you, God. I give it to you, and I trust that you're building together to do something great. Come on, on the count of three. One, two, three right now every hand lifted every hand lifted would you come if you feel like coming forward you come forward if you want to stay in your seat you stay in your seat but let's talk to God and let's give him our past come on and let's tell God would you reveal to me what you're doing and what you've done to prepare me for your future come on that's it that's it thanks for listening to our podcast Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.